teacher needs some quiet time. So this is going to be a study period. And teacher is going to study the long series of wrong decisions that brought him here. Is there anything more important than family? Yes, yes there is. Neighborhood. What could be more important than the camaraderie that comes from hanging out at your local bodega or the delightful hijinks of teenagers shoplifting from the corner drugstore? Some furiously fast types might say family, but according to today's assignment, they are wrong. <laughs> 1986's Busted Up falls somewhere between a Canadian version of Rocky and an extended smooth jazz music video. Life isn't easy for prizefighter gym owner, single father, Earl the Pearl Bird. His days seem to mainly consist of getting beat up in the ring, taking his daughter to school, and visiting every small business in the neighborhood. <laughs> because one by one, people are being muscled out of their bodegas and apartments by a cabal of mumbling real estate moguls. When Drayton, the sleaziest and mumbliest of the moguls, threatens to buy the foundation of his gym from under him, Earl has to climb back into the ring to raise the dough necessary to save it, and, by extension, the neighborhood that it is inexplicably the center of. He'll also have to deal with the reappearance of his ex, Simone, a traveling lounge singer who is also in the movie. So, ice up your fists, chug some maple syrup, and grab your saxophone for today's headline bout, Video High versus Busted Up. Let's get ready to podcast! <laughs> the power. The strength. The round ring. Earl Bird's the best there is. Best goddamn round ringer I ever seen. <laughs> the neighborhood's all he knows. <laughs> and now they want to move him out. We fight for the gym. My money against your club. For Earl Bird, it's the fight of his life. In the first corner. James, I want to say my name. Let's yeah. do that again. Okay. <laughs> In the first corner, next to me, we have... Jamie Kennedy. The score of this movie is my favorite upbeat Bruce Springsteen song, and the plot of this movie is my favorite depressing Bruce Springsteen song. <laughs> <laughs> In the second corner, Greg the Peg Leg Hansen. In the third corner, Casey Regan. I don't care if you eat trees. I don't care if you live in the mountains. I don't care if you fuck bears. <laughs> You're gonna like this movie. And finally, in the fourth corner, me, Joshua. Nice. <laughs> Jesus. Before we get too far, I think it's important for me to point out that much like our pilot episode where I admitted to the world that I had never seen a Rambo movie, 
I have also never seen a Rocky movie. So, A, I don't know if I've seen any <laughs> Sylvester Stallone movies to begin with. What do you got against Sly? I don't know. Do you oh, just avoid Jamie, movies geez. that start with the letter R? Maybe. It might be that. Yes. Um, Jamie, Jamie, I'm going to make a I'm going to make a quick guess. Mm-hmm. I'm going to roll on intuition or whatever you D&D nerds do. Insight. Insight continue. <laughs> I'm going to roll on insight and say you are the sort of person who I'm guessing you have seen more Frank Stallone movies than Sylvester Stallone <laughs> movies. I've definitely seen more fucking Joe Estevez than any of the others. <laughs> I appreciate, Jamie, that you're willing to admit your your blind spots, but I do think it's going to make this episode particularly rocky. Ooh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. We just started recording, Greg. Come on. It's okay. I salute the great Rocky of the North. The fact that Philadelphia has a statue of Rocky is ridiculous. Whatever, like, stinky Canadian city this this movie takes. Toronto. Toronto. (laughs) Toronto. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure it's Philadelphia. eh? (laughs) (laughs) It would make more sense for... Toronto to have a statue of Earl the bird or Earl the yeah. pearl, the pearl bird. bird. Too many. There's too much going on. Big question. How many nicknames does Earl have? So when I Googled this, surprisingly nothing came up. Uh, <laughs> but they call him Bird, Birdman, Earl the Pearl. But do they call him Early Bird? Oh! Because that's the one that they Ooh. that they wrote, but they didn't say it. <laughs> I know. Because as we all know, Greg, the Earl Bird gets the worm. Not Foster, 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 as it is said repeatedly in the opening scene. We thought his name was Foster for a good 20 (laughs) minutes of this movie. (laughs) I had to rewrite my notes when they said his name was Earl the Pearl. It's a terrible introduction to a couple characters because we're meeting our lead who's fighting and the announcer just keeps screaming. And that's how we're meeting our hero. And then how we meet our villain is our villain walks in, goes up to the bookie and says, what are the odds? The only thing I know in this movie is the odds. (laughs) (laughs) Two to one. This movie is, and it's a phrase you don't get to use a lot. This movie is aggressively Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know it going into it. But after like 20 minutes, I was like, this this movie's got to be fucking Canadian. Like. So goddamn Canadian. You can tell because even the mobsters are nice. So we open, as all good fight movies do, with a montage. I loved this montage. A second unit was set up to take extreme close-ups of various things (laughs) that don't necessarily, like, go together. We're cutting from someone sticking their hands in ice to someone opening up a chest holding a picture of a little girl and they're, like, putting makeup on and someone else is doing their hair and buffing their shoes. And it tells me nothing, but it looks so good. It is three different movies montaged into an opening. Yeah, but I think it tells you everything. (laughs) It is cutting between what you later understand to be Earl Bird taping up and icing his hands and getting ready for a fight. His ex, Simone, who is preparing sheet music and looking at a picture of the child she left behind. And then we get Irving Drayton, our antagonist, shining his shoes, getting ready for an out on a town and picking up a prostitute. Yep. Yep. There is a level to which they are... 
thematically similar characters. They all have dreams. Yeah, they all have <laughs> something to prove and everything to lose. Exactly. And I, I mean, it was cool. One, you know, you show enough like close-up shots of someone cracking their knuckles and shoving their fingers into ice buckets. In front of a big Everlast belt. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You're going to get me on board. I, I actually did zero in on, on what you guys are saying, which is that like, I felt like thematically before we learned that that Earl and Simone are linked in any way, like romantically, uh, it, it did strike me as like, oh, is this going to be a movie about people that are being exploited by people with money? Because it feels very like working Joe and like even bringing er, like Drayton into it, it, it. It is like funny that like, it is a movie about people who are fighting for like economic uh, success, or but and not even success as much as uh, stability. Like just like like making ends meet, and that they're all fighting each other rather than fighting the actual powers that be. Uh, but they also don't really like they kind of like establish it and then they just sort of like yeah then they punch each other <laughs> this movie is really more rent than rocky <laughs> jamie has seen this one i have seen this one yes <laughs> <laughs> i have not seen rocky the musical you know the three r's rocky rambo and rent yeah <laughs> It is really about a community coming together in sort of opposition to like realtor interests. The fighting is very secondary in this movie. Which is wild because the director is a stuntman and a second unit director. <laughs> and I read that the inspiration for this whole movie came from his time as a bare knuckle boxer in Peru when he was growing so up. Great. <laughs> So like, <laughs> did he also have to save a small Canadian neighborhood in Peru? So. <laughs> this movie was inspired purely by punching. Like, what <laughs> of being a bare knuckle boxer in Peru has to do with any of the rest of this movie? Yeah, but it's not about the fight with your fists, Casey. It's about the fight for the common man, for the community. Ooh. It's a fight against gentrification, but everyone's white. Angie isn't not white. Not everyone is white. Angie is not white. <laughs> and is the best. Angie is not white. And Simone and Sarah are not white. Right. And the first guy he fights at the opening of the movie is... <laughs> is Billy Blanks. He doesn't live in the community. He's he's different. Granite Foster was a Lon Chaney yes. character. That was a terrifying <laughs> looking person. Why isn't Granite Foster our main character? Because God, that name is amazing. So good. It's so good. What I love about this movie is the tagline is, some battles you fight in the ring, others you fight in the street. But this movie posits that the important ones are actually just fought in the ring. Like <laughs> He doesn't fight in the street yeah. at all. No, he gets beaten up in the street. Yeah, in fact, Earl Bird don't fight in no parking <laughs> lot. <laughs> Explicitly stated. Yep. That is a yep. rule. <laughs> it's rent. <laughs> 24 5 that's, that's about the 600 punches. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I was so much more prepared to like follow the thread of this being a Bruce Springsteen song, and then you've just blindsided me with <laughs> musical theater. This movie's too damn Canadian to be a Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs>
yours is probably better, but it is sort of a musical if you replace songs with punches. (laughs) Until the end, until the final number, there really is no story progression in the fight. Oh, yeah. The opening fight, Earl gets his ass kicked. He gets his ass kicked good. (laughs) Yeah. And then we just jab cut. (laughs) Just about putting on lipstick, and then she's singing, and then jab cut back to the fight. This movie is cut like a boxing match, where it's just jab, jab, jab. I like jab cut. I also love this like TV movie opening theme song. <laughs> Clarence on the sax, not really, but it felt like it. (laughs) When the car pulls up to the boxing match at the end, I really felt like Joni and Chachi were going to get out of the car. (laughs) The music was so fun the whole time. It didn't distract away from the movie. It really elevated, like, you forget how many scenes of this movie are just people walking to, like, a greengrocer and being like, yeah, I'll have an apple. How's your son? He's good. He's still at school. All right, thanks for the apple. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) The music makes you think, like, this is a good movie. This is really good. Which is contrasted by the fact that we immediately cut into a boxing match that has no audience. Zero. (laughs) And it sounds insane. It's so quiet in there. You could hear a fucking (laughs) pin drop. And these guys are beating the living shit out of each other. So they keep making reference to the fact that Earl Burr is the best round ringer in the game. He's a great round ringer. And then, yeah, later, the antagonist, Irving Drayton, talks about how round ringing isn't like gay slur boxing. (laughs) I find it uh, to be major drama. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's no uh, fancy footwork. There's no lying on the ropes. None of your bullshit boxing, okay? There's two guys sitting in a ring, bare-fisted, going at it, all right? And the ref's not going to turn wimpy and stop the fight the minute some little jerk-off gets a cut in his face. You know, getting past the homophobic slur in it, I was almost endeared to see him give a shit about something. (laughs) (laughs) To not speak in whispered tones. He, like, explained a love of fighting in a way that our heroes do not. (laughs) (laughs) Our heroes look at fighting as just, this is the way we make money. And our villain is like, fighting is noble and good. And the way that we express ourselves. Did anybody, I did not, but did anyone look up what makes round ringing round ringing except the fact that the ref doesn't call it early, like you don't... I'm assuming the bare knuckles have to do with it as well. Yeah, there's bare knuckle, but also they do go to corners often in this movie. It's not like there is just as many breaks in a round ring match as there seems to be in a boxing match. Well, I like the fact that this movie makes a lot of bones about how brutal round round ringing and bare knuckle boxing is and they tell you a lot they don't really show you a lot but they tell you a lot like any good movie they tell you over and over this is really dangerous tell don't show like a musical (laughs) tell don't show (laughs) sing don't show yeah when you get to a point that emotion overwhelms you you punch another guy out that's the rules (laughs) for musicals yeah What's funny is that bare knuckle boxing is actually uh, understood to be a fair bit safer than regular boxing because boxing gloves don't protect your face. They protect your hands. That makes sense. The idea is if you punch somebody's head with your fist, 
you're probably going to break your hand before you break their face. Whereas when you have a a boxing glove, you can just wail on someone's face and the force isn't from your fist, it's from the lead up. It's like the momentum from the hip turn. There's like a lot of studies that show that that's actually true, that bare knuckle boxing is much less dangerous for the most part. Okay. More you know. Yeah, that's why when you're bare knuckle boxing, you have to plunge your hands into a hotel bucket of ice (laughs) to numb that shit out. Thanks for teaching me to think outside the boxing, Greg. Actually, you know what? This has put me at ease because I was very worried of what it was going to be like to hear the four of us (laughs) talk about fighting. (laughs) Well, you see, Casey. (laughs) So as these dueling scenes come to a close, we've met Simone, who is a lounge singer. We've met some woman. We've met Simone's hands. (laughs) We've met Irene Cara. Most importantly, we've met Irene Cara, Academy Award winner, Irene Cara. Except we don't get her character's name until, and I counted, one hour and nine minutes into the movie. (laughs) It's insane. (laughs) It doesn't matter. She's Irene Cara. Like, at this point, she is a legend. She performed at the Oscars in the same year two different songs for fame, and then, like, a year or two later, won an Oscar for writing the theme from Flashdance. Damn. Four years later. Four years later. Thank you. What I love is that, objectively, Irene Cara is the most famous person in this movie. Yes. The people that I recognized in this movie, (laughs) (laughs) I immediately recognized Paul Kufos from Food of the Gods Part (laughs) 2. And I immediately recognized the guy who plays Angie because he's in Monster Squad. (gasps) What? Him I recognized. Yeah. He's the like other cop to the dad cop. Oh my God. And he has like a bunch of great one-liners. He's not in the movie a ton, but he's super great bit part. And then the entire movie goes by and then I had to look up who Irene Carroll was. (laughs) (laughs) That's just rude. That's just rude. (laughs) Jamie was excited for Irene Cara. Greg was excited to be like, hey, the guy from Chopping Mall looks great with his shirt off. (laughs) (laughs) And he does. And it should be stated that at this point, the reason that Irene Cara is in this movie movie is because she is recently wed to the director at the time that this movie was made. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a Hollywood's a fickle animal. (laughs) (laughs) You're the top of the world one day, and then you're in Busted Up. Then you get busted up. And then you get busted up. You win an Oscar, you perform there too, and then you you get get busted busted up. Don't want to be busted up. So I don't know if you guys looked, but on Irene Cara's Wikipedia page, the way that it mentions this movie is, and I quote, in 1986, Cara appeared in the film Busted Up. That's it. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) these are the facts. What you do with them is up to you. No, she really does, because we cut out of the fight between Earl Bird and Granite Foster to Irene Cara performing in this small but respectable club. Like, a pretty good gig. I mean, they've got waitresses selling candy bars like it's a, like it's a 1930s radio show. <laughs> but with a lot more keytar. We're just going to give our boys in the goon squad a break, and here's Irene Cara. <laughs> You know, fame was a little more evergreen in the 80s, both the movie and the thing. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, it's like, because my mind is just this podcast now, <laughs> it's like seeing Tito Puente in Salsa. Yes! yes! It must have been a surprise to see her be in the rest of the movie. Because, <laughs> like, cutting to her singing is like, oh, this is one of these fun celebrity song cameos yeah. <laughs> in, like, these bad movies that happens all the time. Great movies. These great movies. Oh, sorry, I misspoke. <laughs> I meant rad movies. <laughs> yeah, so she is performing at, we don't know the name of the club. The owner's name is Monty, so I'm going to say Monty's. <laughs> and everyone's glad to have her back. And that's where we get kind of the exposition dump because someone else who performs here goes, well, 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 look who came crawling back to Monty's. And, and that's when we get the explanation that she basically left her daughter here in this town to try and like make a name for herself performing as a traveling showgirl and has now come back to try and have her daughter back in her life. She thought fame, she was going to live forever. <laughs> fame, she was going to learn how to fly high. <laughs> it just didn't work out. So in the meantime, Earl has won his fight against Granite Foster. Despite getting beaten to hell. Despite getting the shit stomped out of him. Speaking of which, what hard material would you be named after if you were a boxer? A limestone. Limestone. Ooh. Limestone Kennedy. <laughs> straight up. I like Limestone Kennedy. That's really good. And Peanut Brittle Roth. <laughs> Peanut Brittle that's strong, right? <laughs> they call me old Pine Tree Hansen. Ooh, I think I'm gonna have to be Spiderweb Regan. <laughs> <laughs> they can hold a lot, you know. Pound for pound, <laughs> the toughest material on earth. <laughs> so yeah, so he's won the fight. He gets paid like two to one. Foster, two to one. Foster. Two to one! <laughs> the odds were because of Angie's creative promoting, even though it seemed to be that Granite Foster was pretty ably beating. This is when my eyes glazed over for any explanation of life. <laughs> then you tell me he wins, and I'm like, great, got it. Sports movies will always be better than sports to me for a lot of reasons. But one of those definite reasons is I have so many times been explained by real men in my life how like odds and betting and over-unders work and I just hear like TV static in my head. <laughs> I need to see a person get punched and slow-mo hit the ground. <laughs> we later, I mean this is way down the line but we later learn that Earl is an ex-con. Think of what Angie's livelihood is and his entire social circle is. I am putting this ex-con who probably can't get a lot of other work in the ring to like get pummeled and I'm just gonna like stitch him up, refuse to call ambulances for him when he clearly needs them. <laughs> just gonna be around him all the time. Well, it's not revealed too much later because this is when we get Earl taking a shower after the match and then he has a flashback to jail. <gasps> yeah. And somebody's getting shift. You all right, man? Never better. He's serious post-traumatic stress. It is way intense. Earl goes like catatonic when he is having this flashback of whatever happened in a prison shower. And Angie, who has zero respect for personal boundaries, just like opens the shower curtain and is like, hey, my naked dude, what's up? <laughs> you done yet? You done yet? <laughs> you feeling all right? 
Oh, well, oh, we shouldn't skip over that we were introduced to Nick. Out of another movie, yeah. a car comes crashing <laughs> into Angie and Earl as they're leaving. Yeah. And they pull out this drunkard from the car, and it's Nick who says it's a joke. It's a hell of a way to get somebody's attention. Hey, it was just a joke, girl. <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? It's it's pretty funny. <laughs> like, when you think about it, it's pretty funny. He says he's got an opportunity. I got some good action coming in. We can all make a killing. Huh? I got some pals from Atlantic City, does he say? Yeah, Atlantic City. I don't know if this movie wanted to be in America, like if it was intending to be in Canada or America, but there is a moment where Earl walks by like a convenience store and in the back, there's like a sign. It says Dale's Grocery or whatever. And underneath it says bread dash jug milk, (laughs) which is so fucking Canadian. What's special about our store is you can get milk not in a bag like the rest of this crazy-ass country. I think it's supposed to be somewhere else, but they don't say. Listen, there could be more than one Atlantic City, Casey. (laughs) The Atlantic City. Of the North. Toronto's near Atlantic. It could be at Atlantic City. He's talking about Nova Scotia. (laughs) Wait, all the way from New Jersey? No, no, no. And Atlantic City. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say he's talking about fucking Halifax. Yeah, I I got some boys coming up from Halifax. (laughs) So Nick says he's got an opportunity for them, but Angie doesn't trust him. Earl says like, You know something, Nick? You've been a pain in my neck ever since we were kids. Friends like him you don't need. Earl, like his last line to Nick is like, uh, I don't mean it, man. I still really... Oh, anyway, I gotta go, because Angie says, (laughs) You gotta go. (laughs) And then Nick yells, uh, Hey! We go back a long way, Birdman. <laughs> All right. He's got a great he laugh. He does. <laughs> He's got a great movie laugh. He's a jovial man. That jolly old Nick. Love Nick. So what? We basically end up with Bird going back to his house and he's tucking his kid in and it's what? Fucking four in the morning. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and the kid is basically like, what happened to your face, dad? Like she doesn't know that he <laughs> fights people for a living. What happened to your face? Banged into a door. Must have been a revolving door. The kid in this movie is awesome and terribly dubbed. Yes. So bad. <laughs> but the lines they give this kid are cold blooded. <laughs> she is roasting everyone in this movie and hates them. Like, also, like, hates her dad. Hates her mom who left her. Hates Angie. Hates everyone. Yep. I loved this kid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was great to see a movie where the fucking like Statler and Waldorf was a six year old. (laughs) This is when we find out that Simone is the ex-girlfriend of Earl and she shows up for her daughter. She was traveling and she left them and Earl is just tells her to leave and that's the end of that. No, but what I love about this, so I really went down a rabbit hole with this lecture and a lecture that comes later from Earl because it posits this world over and over that fighting is the stable, respectable job in this <gasps> town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fighting is the best job you can aspire to in this community and she's the failure for trying to pursue her like creative dreams it's like how dare you when we have a child to support and i'm working hard 
as a fighter <laughs> and you're out there trying to sing for your living. Right. It was both like an upending of the usual lectures that come from. Like she still lectures him about that. I wish you wouldn't fight. Blah, blah, blah. That you get usually. I, I, I'm sorry. She says, what do you do for money, Mr. Shit for brains? <laughs> I just love it that, like, he had to make sacrifices to put food on the table, and those sacrifices are being a fighter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Getting wailed in the face consistently by people named after stones. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Like, she's the screw-up because she went to go sing. (laughs) Right. It's like, how dare you? You go out there and you sing your songs and dance in front of, 50 to 60 people regularly on a nightly basis. I'm doing the real work, getting punched to death in front of three to four rich people (laughs) in a basement. (laughs) Jamie, I'm on your side now. This movie may be a Springsteen song. (laughs) How many Springsteen songs are about like guys who had other dreams but like broke their backs working with granite? Yeah. (laughs) Even before the realtors move in, when one fight becomes the basis of the town's economy, even before it seems that everything sort of lives and dies on this boxing gym. Yeah, he's training kids to become fighters. Parents are asking, hey, can you get my kid in on a fight? Any kids fights? Like it's the the friggin' children's crusade. Gonna have any kids fights? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, how about getting my kid a fight, huh? Come on, what do you say? You get hurt in the ring. Hey, now, come on. I'm his old man. I say he's ready. And I say if you want a fighter in the family that bad, maybe you ought to get in the ring. This town needs Earl like Summer Isle needs Nicolas Cage in Wicker Man. <laughs> <laughs> Killing me won't get your jug of milk back. <laughs> <laughs> Not jug of milk, Josh. Jug milk. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, if you think about it, all milk. <laughs> Not in Canada, Greg. Not in Canada. Mostly bad milk. Think about it. Think about it. You didn't think about it. (laughs) You get it? Oh. Oh. (laughs) Going blue. After we get the scene where Simone, she says, I should be able to see my daughter. And Nick's like, you left. You like gave up those privileges. We meet, truly meet our antagonists and villains, Irving Drayton and the sort of realtor interest for whom he is moving in on this town. And they are so villainized. And look, realty money is a sincere evil in this actual world and the movie world. But it seems in the movie world, the reason why it's villainous is it doesn't involve hitting anyone (laughs) (laughs) and thus is not a noble way to make a living. If you wear glasses and you're not over the age of 60, then you are a bad person in this movie's (laughs) eyes. But Irving Drayton, who is played by, what's that guy's name? Tony Rosato from Saturday Night Live. Right, Tony Rosato, an alumni of Saturday Night Live and SCTV. Wow. One of the most famous people to do either of those shows. That was a a joke. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> he plays Irving Drayton, who is a sort of streetwise hustler for these rich realty interests that are trying to move in on this town or this city suburb. When everyone in their elementary school got back their career aptitude tests, 95% of everyone in the class got fighter. <laughs> one person got grocer, one person got inherit your dad's drugstore, and then Irving got... Oh, man, hustler. (laughs) And he just had to grow up to be it. (laughs) We meet him having a breakfast brunch of just the gooeyest looking fruits. (laughs) He's having his breakfast brunch with the two true villains of the movie who are like the sons of the rich guys from Trading Places. (laughs) (laughs) Look, you got to know how to deal with these people. You know what I'm saying? You got to have some respect in the community. And takes a certain amount of class. We don't care how you get it. That's your business. We're told you're good at that sort of thing. Oh, you heard right. I am. Glad to hear that. We've paid you enough money. And his superiors, who are supposed to be even worse than him, are even more boring than he is. It's like a shitload of, like, administrators and vice principals. (laughs) No one truly bad, just a lot of people that take orders. The two sort of moneyed realtors, they hire Drayton because of his ability to sort of make people do what they want and his street wisdom. And then when we see him exert his muscle, he goes into an apartment building with two of his goons and basically like, I want to let the tenants know the leases are... He whispers all these lines. I will uh, speak these lines, even though he whispers them. (laughs) But he says... We're here to tell some people that their leases are up. You can't come in here and start throwing people out. We're just throwing anybody out. We're just here to tell them that the leases are up. Who the hell are you guys? City Health. And then to show that they mean business, they like lift a rug. (laughs) Gently toss a fire extinguisher. (laughs) Basically, Drayton went into that apartment building and was like, listen, this is a game you guys can never win. And... (laughs) You know, the guy who owns this place, he's going to get it back again. (laughs) This carpet's not good enough. Shame if it got busted up. (laughs) Thank you. So he does a very polite Canadian sort of strong arming of an apartment building. Meanwhile... Earl is just sort of walking about town, having very normal conversations with very normal people. He's walking a boot town. A boot town. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> he swings by the friendly grocer. He's like, hey, why aren't you in school? And the kid's like, I don't do so well in school. You know, the old man, he needs my help. So uh, it's better if I'm here. That just shows you everything you need to know about this town. (laughs) And everything you will know about this town. (laughs) And then we see Drayton's goons walk in after he leaves. We do not follow that. (laughs) We don't follow that. No, we follow. We follow him to go get coffee at... The adjoining diner. Grocer connected to diner. So Gilmore Girls, it's quaint. It's very quaint. It's like quaint as hell for a town built on the back of a fight club. (laughs) Yeah, we don't see them go in, but we're to assume that everyone in the town is being muscled out. Some might say the town's a little busted up. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit busted. The town's a little busted up. (laughs) 
Every time we say busted up, somebody better take a fucking drink. <laughs> I mean, Seriously. Yeah. I've been. There's so much of this movie where it wasn't like I was disappointed. I thought I was getting a bare knuckle boxing movie and it's way more Blue Lagoon. Yeah. Like it's way more 70s soft jazz playing as we like slow zoom out of a person walking down a street. <laughs> this movie is as much Kramer versus Kramer as it is Rocky 2. Kramer v. Kramer, the title yeah. bout. <laughs> <laughs> After those vignettes. Earl walks into the gym. He sees the patrons and he sees Frankie, who is sweating bullets. The man (laughs) looks like he is going to pass out. And he's in there because he needs cash. He needs cash fast. I was just hoping to get a couple fights for cash. Hey, Frankie. Looking pretty good for a guy who's just trying to stay in shape. I was hoping to grab a fight or two. Could really use the bread. I miss how people talked in the 70s in America and thus in the 80s in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) And then this is when we get our exposition dump that somebody is buying up the town, the gym's at risk, even though Earl insists that they own it, and then three seconds later says that it's half paid off. (laughs) Yeah, it's because Angie's a piece of shit. (laughs) But we own the place. So what? What do you mean, so what? Look at all the sweat we put in trying to hang on to it. What are you talking about? They take it. There ain't a damn thing we can do about it. Takes so many tonal shifts. Because they're just walking to this really romantic, smooth jazz. And then, chase scene! This guy, Bobby, runs in front of their car. And then is being chased by my favorite character and all of yours. Say it together. Captain Hook! Oh, Oh. okay. (laughs) (laughs) Captain Hook is the like bright shining star of this movie. Is he Captain Hook or is he? I thought he was just the Hook. Oh no, he is Captain. No, Hook. No, he says Captain Hook. Oh, he is yeah. Captain. Hook. You're yeah, correct. and then he refers yeah. to himself as "You want to dance with the Hook," but that's only after they throw a lot of slang around about flour and bills, time at the resort. Captain Hook is a character from another movie. He's a character from another movie, but again, like another one of these like sort of soft baddies. For a dude who walks around with a metal hook in his leather jacket, you'd imagine he'd have one or two other lines that you want to dance with the hook, which he <laughs> repeats ad nauseum. Dance with the hook, Bartman, huh? Come on, you want to dance with the hook, huh? Come on, Bartman. Come on, you want to dance with the hook, huh? Come on. Come on. There is a level to which he sort of establishes more than the rest of the movie sort of Earl's criminal bona fides. You know, you spent time up in the resort and when Earl and Angie get on the scene to protect Bobby, it's not like, oh, these are the good guys and we, Captain Hook and my goons are the bad guys. It's like, oh, hey, man, (laughs) I'm just shaking down this guy, Bobby. What's up? Hey there, fellow kids. (laughs) Yeah. So I need to talk about the fact that... He's David Harbour. <laughs> he, he looks just like how David Harbour will look when Stranger Things is canceled. <laughs> and really lets himself go. He looks like if David Harbour moved up north into the woods of Canada and just lived there for 30 years. With a hook. But he's played by 
a guy named George Booza. It's not his face that was familiar. George Booza was the voice of Hank McCoy, a.k.a. Beast, in the amazing 90s animated series X-Men. What? Oh, my God. And since then, has been within the orbit of X-Men media. He was like a bit part in the first Brian Singer X-Men movie. I didn't realize how much of my childhood included dancing with the hook. (laughs) (laughs) But in Canada, he's just another boozer. (laughs) (laughs) So Earl being a good guy pays off the rest of Bobby's debt that he owes to the hook. Hook doesn't care. Hook wants to rumble anyway. So they end up fighting in the street no matter what. Right. Damien Lee was like, I got it. Want to dance with the hook? And somebody's like, yeah, that's fucking good. And they're like, what else? And he's like, that's it. Like, <laughs> that's the one. What and done, baby. I love someone reading the script and being like, oh, that hook guy. What a great villain. Like a really interesting character. villain. And then just flipping through pages. <laughs> <laughs> He does come back. We do have Chekhov's The Hook. (laughs) (laughs) So later that night, a short two scenes after Angie was basically saying, it's useless. We shouldn't fight against the establishment. Like, this is just the way the neighborhood's going to go. He's walking over to a bar and Mr. Green is chucked out onto the curb, drunk off his ass. He has sold his family's drugstore to the establishment. What'd you do it for if you knew it was so wrong? The money. I thought I wanted the money, but the money was nothing. That place was my heart and soul. When I was working there, I was doing something important. I was helping people. I was a part of something. But now I'm a part of nothing. It's all gone. Yeah. Well, at least you got the money. That's nothing! And this is when Angie starts to have a change of heart. A whole movie happens in that <laughs> <Yes>. sidewalk talk. <laughs> there was a moment where I was really bummed out with Drayton as a villain. And then when he walks into the gym to find Earl, Angie, and their crew, and their crew, I think one of which was the director of the movie <laughs> playing cards, Drayton tries to buy the gym from them and they say no way this gym is literally everything in this town (laughs) drayton comes up with the idea that they're gonna bet the gym on a boxing match and i was like hell fucking yeah (laughs) like i had written drayton is not good and then i like crossed out and wrote he's great This is what the realtors want him to do is like get creative and use your street smarts. And in the same way that like Fast and Furious, they race for pinks. He's fucking fighting for deed. (laughs) (laughs) I love his like big dick pushing line where he's just like, you don't know anything at all about property values, do you? It can either go up or it can go down. Wow, you know a lot about real estate, man. (laughs) He's smart. He's got an Investor's Business Daily subscription. He doesn't read it yet, but he's gonna. His only leverage, basically, is, listen, these guys are gonna take this block whether you like it or not, so do you want to sell it now or do you want to sell it later? And they don't buy it. Yeah. And it's not until they up the ante, which they didn't explicitly say why but basically Earl it's crazy it's crazy <laughs> Earl says okay we'll bet the gym against Green's drugstore which I'm assuming they were doing so they could give it back to him they Probably. didn't say it but right. like that's what you assume it'd be is the great altru- if they're just like no we're gonna get into the drugstore business now, now, now. we'll own both a gym and a drugstore think, think about all the free apples he could get then <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
No, he's hoping that if they win the drugstore, he can finally get some medical help as opposed to <laughs> Angie's ice and rubbing. <laughs> it worked like poker rules. Drayton came in and was like, let's do a fight. And if you win, you keep the gym. And if I win, I get the gym. <laughs> and then Earl was like, I see your gym and I raise you a pharmacy. <laughs> Nerving's like, I see your property v property and I raise you 25K as well. <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, I agree to that. <laughs> he really, and I say this only because I have no better term for it. He really like big dicks them there's no reason that they should agree they're like we'll bet the gym for the pharmacy and he's like well then we got to do a twenty-five thousand dollar (laughs) ante and they're just like oh yeah i guess that is the rules (laughs) (laughs) that's just how things are in toronto baby the other great part about the twenty-five thousand dollar ante if i'm recalling correctly is that he doesn't even really have that money. It's the money that was promised to him by the real estate developers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the real estate developers are unaware of this plan. And then later on, are like, you did what now? And he's like, oh, it's the best part. Like, it's my money. Like, we didn't even give you that money yet. No, but it's my money. It's. I wanted to get here eventually, but I want to talk about Drayton's plan or... <laughs> lack thereof it's not good it's not a good plan it's not a good villain's plan but it is incredibly honorable to the sort of moral universe of this movie he has no ace in the hole when he makes this bet he doesn't even have a fighter to face bird he just knows he's gonna find the biggest fucking chucklehead out there (laughs) right i want you guys to check out all the round rangers Boxes, karate experts, uh, strong men, whatever, whoever the hell you could think of. We're going to throw them into that ring and we're going to see what they can do. And look, I don't just want anybody. I want the toughest son of a bitch on this earth. I don't care if he eats trees. I don't care if he lives on a mountaintop. I don't care if he fucks bears. You get me the toughest, meanest mother alive. You got it, Mr. Drayton. You can take that. Look, you hosers, he's got a lot of loonies and toonies on this match. The montage of him trying to find the fighter is surely the best part of the movie. Drayton becomes the main character of the movie for like a good eight minutes. Yeah. And it's a more interesting movie at that point. There is definitely another movie and a more sort of paint-by-numbers version of this movie would be like, there's this really tough gym with this unbeatable fighter and I need to find amidst this wreck ragtag group of tree eaters and bear fuckers one person to beat him <laughs> you just described pokemon <laughs> did i what <laughs> wait <laughs> <laughs> It's made all the better because after this amazing montage of trying out fighters, there's only one guy good enough who's still in jail. The guy from Earl's flashback. But what makes it even better is that Drayton doesn't know about the guy's relationship to Earl. No. He just chooses him because he's like, he's the toughest guy. He doesn't even realize that this is going to get under Earl's skin. The movie is Canadian because it very politely gives time to characters that in a more paint-by-numbers movie would not be given the time. Like, we shouldn't be with Drayton for all this time. No. <laughs> <laughs> but in a very Canadian way, it's like, well, let's hear him out. <laughs> so a funny aside, the guy who plays Tony Tanera, the bad guy who is basically bailed out to kill Bird, <laughs> yeah. is played by Gord Judges, who, I guess if you're Canadian, you might recognize him because he wasn't an actor, but he was a wide receiver for the Montreal 
all alouettes. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my god. Canada is the gift that keeps on giving. Oh my god. <laughs> it's amazing. He's great in this movie. One, he is huge. Next to Tony Rosado, he looks humongous. He's got the perfect evil scar over his left eye. Right. Which is probably fucking real. Yeah, probably real. Drayton visits Tony Tanera in prison and says, I need you to fight somebody. I'll get you out on bail. And if you beat him, you can stay out. <laughs> God, I thought the cash bail system in America was correct. <laughs> <laughs> While Drayton is just trying to even have a chance at the bet he made (laughs) (laughs) to raise the $25,000 ante, Earl and Angie are like going with Nick, who had this plan to make money, which I'll be honest, I didn't really understand it past I will have you fight people and then bet on the Yes, result. That's, that's the whole thing. It's just Nick can line up the fights, which is something I guess Angie is not capable of doing. <laughs> <laughs> Nick is like the promoter out of town. So he's going to take him to a better league to fight in every week. And Earl is kicking fucking ass. There's a montage of him beating people up. At a certain point, he is 39 and 0. <laughs> that's insane. That's something you retire on because you're Mike Tyson. Yeah. You can't really call him an underdog literally at this point in the movie because he is 39 and 0 and Drayton has barely gotten another fighter to fight him. We did skip over one of my favorite characters. Daddy Ray? Daddy Ray. (laughs) Daddy Ray. Yes. We cut to the gym and you just see this old guy painting a post pink. Uh, Somebody asked, Daddy Ray, what kind of color is that for a corner post? New wave, Spence. We haven't even said that the name of the gym is The Foundation. The Foundation. Wait, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my. This entire time, I thought he was talking about literal foundation oh, as of no. building foundation no, no, that no, he no. was going to buy out from under him. I'll see myself out. No, I mean, you're right in a narrative sense. He is trying to buy out the foundation of the city. And they named the gym The Foundation. And of the Foundation members, Angie owns it. Earl co-owns it and is like the fighter. And trainer. And trainer. And then otherwise, it's like a child army. Yeah. (laughs) Spence is their intern. He's like 18. He wears bike shorts that were acceptable in the 70s. And now very acceptable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Acceptable then. Exceptional now. (laughs) (laughs) There's Daddy Ray, the maintenance guy. The grocer is there, just hanging out all the time. Earl is really like the only real fighter, and everyone else is old men or little children. Yes. <laughs> and who can't fight? No one can fight but Earl. What if this went a different way and Irving had come in and been like, here's the deal. You're going to lose this gym anyway, but one-on-one fight. My guy versus that six-year-old kid over there. <laughs> awesome. That would have been... Awesome. The way you described the makeup of the gym reminds me of Dragon Ball Z, where it's like Goku and then everyone else who's completely <laughs> inconsequential. Ooh, totally. But they all want to help. 25K is not nothing to raise. And so this is when you get the very sweet moment in the gym where everyone wants to do their part. Daddy Ray says, we could win the lotto. And then the kids are like, let's collect bottles. Yeah, we'll go collect bottles right now. <laughs> and it's adorable. <laughs> and unrealistic. So Earl comes in and he just starts training. 
right? Yes. And then we pan around him boxing to reveal Simone standing there, which we did forget there was a scene right before this where he starts a fight at her club because he's angry that she wants to be in her daughter's life and he gets arrested and Simone bails him out. It doesn't really matter. What does matter is Simone comes in to watch Earl punching a heavy bag. And then they have a very brief back and forth about, I'm a person. I'm a person too. Hey, let's fuck in the boxing ring. <laughs> <laughs> and then Daddy Ray comes back in and turns the lights off for Respectful. them. Respectful. I like how he's like hitting the heavy bag. And then she comes in and he's like, I'm a tongue punch your heavy bag. <laughs> 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 yeah. In two different ways, Earl entered the round ring. <laughs> to remove any sexual notions you may have, they immediately jab cut to somebody getting shivved in jail. Well, it's two different sorts of insertion. <laughs> we get a little bit more, we get a taste more of Earl's PTSD. He wakes up in a sweat and Simone says that she wants to be married this time. Though she'll take him back, but they need to be married because she is an old-fashioned kind of gal. And then Angie calls, and that's the end of that scene. <laughs> and we go to Drayton and his uh, cronies eating Chinese food, and their cutlery is miked better than they are. <laughs> <laughs> They're eating and talking about the bet and talking about, hey, is this going to work, Drayton? <laughs> <laughs> you have not stacked the cards in your deck. And he is very quietly insistent. No, it'll be it'll work. Totally it'll work. be fine. It's totally going to work. And Tony shows up. Tony's out of jail. And he shoves a guy's face in some soup. Just immediately starts drowning a guy in miso soup. Immediately. <laughs> it takes him all of three seconds to get yeah. violent. Tony looks like meatloaf extra meat. <laughs> nice. And immediately is like showing us why he was in prison in the first place. <laughs> totally. Just to give you no illusions about this man. And then Drayton says, You think you're going to hurt him? But I kill him. And Drayton doesn't say no. <laughs> uh, he's like, sure, great, uh, better. <laughs> Which was really the first moment of Drayton being a legitimate villain. And then he sits back down. <laughs> and my favorite line of the whole thing, I literally have no reason why this should be in the podcast. It just was my favorite line of the whole movie, which is, he sits down and Drayton's like, that's pretty crazy. Huh? <laughs> and one of his accomplices is like, well, you know that Tony Tanera and Earl Bird had beef when Earl Bird was in prison. And Drayton's like, I didn't know that. <laughs> and this guy, Johnny's like, well, it's going to be pretty crazy, this fight, huh, Drayton? And Drayton goes, eat your shrimp, Johnny. <laughs> it's great. Again, like, we get a montage of Earl beating up guys for the $25,000. Starts with an ECU of a woman shouting, kill him! And it's just a very yeah. stylized <laughs> montage. I love it. It's great. It's really good filmmaking. And this is when we get Nick's scheme, where Earl's gonna fight the Corsicans, these two meathead bros who, who are just like banging each other's heads together to show how tough they are. No, they're dry humping each other against the wall. <laughs> it's very odd. But basically, Earl needs to fight two dudes. The Corsican brothers from the fables. Yeah. <laughs> 
one feels the other's punches. <laughs> Seems ill-advised, to be honest. Seriously. Then Angie has the brilliant idea of pitting the brothers against each other, which is incredibly easy. And then the brothers just completely go at it. Earl is taken aback because suddenly the fight is not about him. And then because there is no honor in round ringing, I guess, Earl can just saunter up and fucking cold cock someone. <laughs> the ref's like, yeah, that's exactly legal. It's like the WWE in there. I was just gonna say, this is very much like a WWE round. Someone throws a chair in there yep. and they take each other out. But, oh no, Nick bet on the brothers. I bet on the goddamn Corsicans. He did what? I bet on the Corsicans. It was a natural. The only reason we have to cheer for Earl is because he's got a wife who he hates and a daughter who hates him. It's important to say that after Tony Tanera has been chosen by Drayton, we see him absolutely stomping Granite Foster, the guy from the beginning of the movie. Just destroying him. Yeah, and Simone sees that. And she's packing up to leave. Earl leaves the gym and goes to find Simone. And as she's packing up, he essentially drags her away to go get married. Well, and it's such like a weird lighthearted sequence because you have the jauntiest saxophone playing. It's supposed to be like, oh, it's so funny. He's dragging her across town against her will. And he has angry eyebrows through the whole thing. And she's like, let me go, let me go. And Angie's just holding on to Sarah being like, ah, love am i right oh baby look at love ain't love grand <laughs> cool. that marriage scene was pretty funny they're still arguing while the justice of the peace is trying to like do the matrimony it's seven brides for seven brothers but with saxophone <laughs> <laughs> totally do you take this woman what about the fighting to love honor what about the fighting Look, uh, maybe you two need a little time to just... Would you be quiet a second? And they don't have a ring, so he uses the keychain with his house keys on it in order to yeah. to wed her. We're like, what, at this point, an hour ten into this movie, and I'm finally endeared to like the main characters. <laughs> I'm finally like, oh yeah, they're worth saving, I guess. <laughs> so they celebrate at Jake's with cake. Some nice guy comes in. Oh, uh, Earl, can you, you move your car? You're blocking me. And Earl goes, follows him. But <gasps> Captain Hook jumps him. Hook's revenge. <laughs> yeah, Chekhov's Hook comes back. And you could say he really gets busted up. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Somebody eat it. <laughs> probably busted up pretty bad inside i mean really it was a game earl could never win <laughs> and hook was gonna get him back again <laughs> and getting married isn't good enough he was gonna get busted up, busted up. <laughs> well, i was disappointed that hook didn't use the hook uh, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want to get blood on it it's for show <laughs> And you don't call an ambulance. Yeah, yeah definitely no because, ambulance. No, Angie just says wrap his torso in ice. Wrap his ribs in ice. Make it tight. If we can keep the swelling down, well, then we'll see. So we go pretty quickly to the fight. We go to fight night and Earl and Tony are squaring off against each other. And while the ref is explaining the rules of round ring boxing, Tony and Earl spend a pretty good amount of time just like fantasizing about each other. <laughs> Sadly, we only see the one fantasy, which is the flashback. Right. We only yeah. see Earl's side. 
where we learn that Earl and his brother were both in prison together. Tony and other prison goons shivved and killed Earl's brother in the shower, and in retaliation, Earl beat Tony up with something in his hand to give him the scar on his face. And we get that great dissolve with Tony with no scar, and then Tony with scar. Did like the equivalence in this movie of you killed my brother. It's like, well, you ruined my chances at acting. <laughs> because of how this movie is cut, there is less emphasis put on the murder of a loved one than there is on some facial scarring. Earl goes down pretty quick, but he gets back up. Angie tells him he's got to keep his distance. Got to punch, then get away. Punch, then get Don't away. Don't wrestle him. Earl is getting his shit pushed in. <laughs> Like, Tony is destroying him in this fight. He's working the body, which has been destroyed by the hook. There is no way if this fight goes to decision, Earl wins. So he needs to knock Tony out. I think in round ringing, there is no going to decision. It is... Well... It's TKO or bust. <laughs> I mean, also, what the fuck is round ring? <laughs> <laughs> well, we would have known if they hadn't faded out from the instructions. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good point. It's very unclear how long the ref has just been waiting there looking at the two of them <laughs> as they are just like dreaming about each other. Tony is really destroying Earl. And besides in the montage, that is most of Earl's fighting that we see is him getting beaten up. He gets knocked down a lot. And then we cut back to the gym where for some inexplicable reason, all of the gym rats are tired of waiting and then they go to see the fight. Why weren't they there from the beginning? It's really sweet that we have this heroic moment where they all storm the gym and start rooting them on. But like, there was no reason for them not to be there. Were they just not allowed? Who decided? It kind of seems like the whole deal with round ringing, there are no favorites. There's no audience. It's just two dudes beating the shit out of each other and the money <laughs> placed on the bets betwixt them. There was just sort of a room for the wealthy to watch like it was a judicial killing. Like it was like the death penalty. It's a courtroom. Please be quiet. <laughs> right. Well, they don't respect those rules because they're the neighborhood. So they, they show up and they start cheering. They're like, you got this, Earl. You got this. And I literally wrote down, their presence gives him the strength to power on. He has to do it for the community. I assumed that's not actually what happened, but it would have been cool. I thought I was getting ahead of the story. Really, their presence is inconsequential because what really gives him the motivation to carry on is hallucinating his brother, his brother in the ring. In the ring. Which was the best part of the movie, in my opinion. It was pretty amazing. There's even a shot where, like, clearly the first AD was like, cheer for Earl, everybody, <laughs> he's fighting for you, cheer for Earl, and then he gets knocked to the canvas, but they are still just cheering. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> 
They're just shaking their fist and smiling as this fucking slab of Canadian bacon hits the canvas. <laughs> Jamie, you're right that their presence isn't the thing that changes. No, it's not the motivation. Rather than the community rallying him back to consciousness, it's the hallucination of seeing his brother in the ring with him and Tony again killing his brother. So he rallies up the strength to defend the ghost of his brother. I love that Tony not only shivs his brother again, but then proceeds to lift him up and throw him over the side of the ring (laughs) in a wrestling move. Right. It wasn't the vision of seeing his brother get murdered. It was the vision of seeing his brother lose a Royal Rumble that (laughs) really inspired him. He gets up and then he cold clocks Tony. Ref counts him out. They're celebrating Earl won. And then Tony just gets up and hits Earl in the back. (laughs) Fucking Russian hammers him like James T. Kirk. (laughs) He's yelled out of the ring. That's when the whole community rallies behind him or in front of him literally in that moment. It was a beautiful moment when the whole community was like, if you're gonna fight Earl, you're gonna fight all of us. Spider-Man. (laughs) Spider-Man. On their way home, Simone wakes up their daughter to see her father covered in blood and sweat but victorious sarah asked for it she said she said wake me up when you like hear something and then she saw him covered in blood and was like yeah this is fine (laughs) and so earl goes in and spends the night with his family and then angie yells everybody let's go party says hey everybody we're gonna get laid <laughs> i literally have written down he yells like rodney danger <laughs> and then the icing on the cake the credit song uh. it seems like such an insane thing that the rest of this movie did not have this amazing theme song which is maybe my favorite element of the movie is this theme song that has been completely non-existent until the closing credits where the song takes a little while to get going and so you don't even realize that it's a tailor-made theme song for the movie until halfway through the (laughs) credits and I was like if I had turned this off I would have missed the single greatest part of the movie did the first time we watched it we like turned it off before we got to bumped it up we did because i was like oh it's the credits i'm gonna finish writing my notes and i I paused it and then we were watching it again last night and it kept playing and i just realized oh my god oh my god the credit song it's an (laughs) honest to god credit song it's a great song and unreleased. No, it's not on Spotify, and that's disappointing to me. It's nowhere. It is just in the credits of Busted Up. <laughs> I was surprised how much I enjoyed this movie in a way that is, as opposed to the other movies that we watch here, where the sort of main drama is pretty weak, whereas what keeps you going is just the insane choices of set pieces that filmmakers make or like that actors make for character choices. Choices and stuff. This movie has like zero insane choices for characters, zero insane choices for like set pieces. It is just like a pretty enjoyable drama. Yeah. In a way that like Rocky is not really a movie about a boxer so much as it's a melodrama about a hard scrabble guy in urban Philadelphia. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> 
<laughs> in terms of the films we've watched, it is on another level of not crazy. Right. It's so not even remotely close to crazy. And that's what I love about it. It's crazy how not crazy it is. <laughs> yes! Right, yeah. that's the thing. It's the exception that proves the rule. Who would have thought the most sort of like moderate, understated movie we would have watched would be about like a bare knuckle boxer <laughs> uh, fighting for the soul no, of a, a Canadian guy. town. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a movie we did make, but we got lots of hot takes. <laughs> These filmmakers made other things, except for Busted Up, Rip Off Report Card. <laughs> Today's video high Rip Off Report Card is brought to you by the new animated feature, Tim Horton Here's a Who, a film about an ex-hockey star who gets turned into a Dota and coffee combo and must befriend an elephant to save his franchise. <laughs> 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 no, cut the music. Get the laughs of that. Busted Up is one of many Canucksploitation movies made by mini-genre maestro writer-producer-director Damian Lee, who delivered the goods with many a number of direct-to-video epics. This was spurred by three little words. Canadian Tax Shelter. <laughs> In 1971, Canada unfurled the tax shelter, an incentive for Canadian filmmakers to lend their films in their hometowns, being able to deduct 100% of the film's cost. What? <laughs> what? Fucking boom. <laughs> Whoa. This led to a proliferation of films made in the Great White North, the likes which had never been seen before. The careers of Ivan Reitman, Bob Clark, and David Cronenberg were made because of the tax shelter. But... Like Busted Up, there were some, uh, shall we say, opportunistic businessmen who maybe abused the system. How dare you. So by 1982, it was dismantled. And then it was reintroduced in 1983 as a 50% deduction. <laughs> Later in 1987, to be further cut back down to 30%. For the four years, though, between 1983 and 1987, we saw a proliferation of Canadian B-movies. And that's where our story begins. Damien Lee, the writer here, had a hand in no small number of exploitation semi-classics, acting as producer-director on the giant rat Bizarro Food of the Gods Part 2, known for a scene in which a giant toddler tells his mother, and I quote, and I'd like you to get the fuck out of my room. <laughs> <laughs> He also returned to the boxing genre with 1987's Last Man Standing, a.k.a. Circle Man, as well as 1989's Thunderground, which sounds like a fake movie I would make up and never actually make. <laughs> He's also responsible for the Jesse the Body Ventura's dip into Alien Terminator, Abraxas, Guardian of the Galaxy, as what? well as... Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love a breakfast. Oh, man. That movie rules. In another brilliant soap-to-be-movie star, Paul Kufo spent the early 80s as Mike Horton on Days of Our Lives before finding himself a nice little niche in mostly Canadian films. Like all good B-movie actors, the titles best tell the story, appearing in 1984's Chopping Mall and The Lost Empire, 1990's Dragon Fight, and 1991's 976 Evil 2. 
Dude. <laughs> he was the lead in Damien Leeds Foods of the God Part 2, where he plays a scientist who at one point dreams of having sex with a giant woman on an operating table, and at another point, nonchalantly throws a dead golden retriever in the garbage. What? Oh, Jesus. Thankfully, Canada's misguided efforts to derail the influence of Hollywood has given us so much great garbage. Yay. Woo. Fame. It doesn't last forever. <laughs> It'll leave you high and dry. Dry. <laughs> if you are Irene Cara, you're going to be in busted up, busted up, busted up, busted up, busted up, busted up. <laughs> Rip off report card. Guys, it's been an honor to spend this time in the round ring with you. Right back at you. <laughs> Students of Video High, as with every assignment, please tell me what could end up on the final test. Who wants to start? Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's tough. It's tough for this one. I think I learned that the most stable career anyone can have is being a fighter. Totally. And any other career is just complete nonsense. <laughs> Irresponsible. I think that what I learned, if I am ever sort of the henchman for a sort of weaselly bad guy, the cue of looking at me means immediately throw whatever is nearest to me. If it's a fire <laughs> hydrant, if it's a chair, don't do anything especially destructive. Just, you know, sort of like have a little like tantrum. <laughs> I learned that if you're going to paint the post of a boxing ring anything other than black, you're really just setting yourself up for a world of trouble. Spencer's going to really ream you out. And it better be because you got a good deal on that pink paint. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this movie was so inspirational to me. And so I'm going to take to heart this tale of an underdog and... Be an underdog myself in that I am trained neither in singing nor in playing the guitar. But uh -oh. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> With the film busted up, these two fizz will take us anywhere. We got one last chance to make it real. <laughs> to save our block from real estate deals. And with you perform until dawn. And me getting wailed upon We'll reconcile our love in Busted Up It's a town full of losers Everybody let's go party tonight Busted Up Thank you so much to our teacher, Philip Marlowe, Seth Applebaum of Ghost Funk Orchestra, and Gabriella Tessitore of Scout Harris. For our theme music, Justin Ferrero of The Rizzos. For bed music and sound mixing. And Shear for our logo and the entire Video High crew. Greg Hansen, Jamie Kennedy, Casey Regan, and me, Josh Roth. Join us next time on Video High when we kick off a month of scares with Shadow Creature. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh. Oh. I'm not going to say I bought the guitar for this bit, but I kind of did. <laughs> Damn. Up, up, up in, in your, your ears. ears. Podcast Network. <laughs>